discover more compassionate relations with human beings, but how can we develop compassionate relations with the other creatures with whom we share this planet? There's an us before the wound, there's an us before oppression, and let to be pleasure is a way that we tap down into that. everyone, and welcome to the final episode of the Total Liberation podcast. I am sure this is a bit of a surprise, but we'll get into it. And I want to deeply, deeply thank the thousands of people who have stuck by and supported the podcast and who continue to do so. We've cultivated the absolute best community on Discord and elsewhere of just super rad, empathetic, critical thinkers. And I'm so proud of the work that Maureen and I have done and that I continued forward with so many great guests. I... I'm going to try to do this in one take. As a busy mom, it gets hard to make time to record, of course. And I've been waiting all day to record this because there's a bunch of construction noise outside of my window. I'm hoping it won't be too disruptive because they're still going, but I just have very, again, uh, limited windows of time to get in there and record. So here we are. Um, I was thinking about going to episode 100 and having Nick and Catherine and maybe Maureen back on, but something quite frustrating happened, and I actually recorded this once already. I recorded a super fiery solo final episode while I was out camping about a month ago, and I didn't have time to edit it, so I just was kind of sitting on it, and now, you know, I'm quite a lot bit calmer, (laughs) quite a lot bit calmer, I'm quite a lot calmer. Um, I still feel like there are some very important issues that I'd like to address in this episode, but perhaps in a slightly more compassionate tone, um, I felt like, you know, I could go out in a fiery blaze of glory, but I don't know. I don't really want that to (laughs) maybe be the lasting legacy of this podcast. Yeah. and, And then hopefully after this, I feel like I will have said most of what I wanted to say on this platform and uh, in this particular online space. Um, So again, we'll get into it. This sounds very vague right now. But um, I will say up front that I will be starting a new podcast project at some point soon in the spirit of eco-socialism. So look out for that. Um, I'm actually open to name suggestions because I'm working on that now. But again, like with very limited time as a new mom and I'm going to be going back to work in September. Um, I was like, you know, I have so many different projects where I'm creating original content. So I think that my new podcast project, I'm going to be interviewing people on my Mexi channel um, because I like to do live interviews with authors and academics and activists. And so I have a lot of people on my list that I'm hoping to get on the show. And then I will put that out as a podcast. Um, I will do some original content on the podcast. I already have a plan. There's so many really rad parents that I know, and I already have a plan thinking about all of these rad people to do kind of a a rad parenting series. And yeah, so that's basically the, the shout out to the new project. I'm sorry, you can hear some beeping in the background. Um, But let's get into it. So what happened that had me so uh, incensed and annoyed was someone who had followed me for a very long time, Catherine Klein, made a response with a super inflammatory title to the post-veganism episode that Ash and I did, which honestly prior to this got so much support. I I actually had people join the Patreon in support after that episode, knowing that it could get some backlash. And uh, a few people who were unfortunately in similar boats to myself and Ash, who felt super seen and supported by the episode, um, reached out and we were just both so thrilled to hear that. Like, honestly, like that just makes, you know, that makes our day, honestly, and makes it everything that we said, like worth it. 
And so, yeah, I just want to thank those people. I want to thank the people on Discord who were all really awesome. And to all of you who just really appreciated this and really all of our work and our theorizing on this platform. Um, I wanted to say also Nick Pendergast from Freedom of Species also did an episode expanding on our episode. Um, and, you know, that was done in just a much, much more respectful manner than Catherine went about it. Um, so we'll get into it. Uh, but yeah, Catherine was saying that she wanted to be civil and respectful. Um, first of all, had my face up with, you know, a short caricature of what Ash and I were saying in the thumbnail and calling us woke anti-vegans and then proceeded to bring up a number of things that are really not okay and really perfect examples of what Ash and I were talking about. And then uh, because of that, I started getting the most wacky emails and messages from people, just like a slew of things. Um, people who clearly did not listen to more than five minutes of it and had not considered my points at all, um, had not actually heard them. And honestly, the ableism and the racism really needs to be addressed. I was thinking of making a video response at first, but response videos have really never been my style. I don't really want to junk up my timeline with a bunch of that, especially since most people don't, you know, aren't actually interested in getting into the weeds of like the he said, she said. But uh, I think it would be more productive for me to make standalone vi videos on points that were brought up, like the noble savage myth and on things like disability justice, etc., to make more evergreen content that could inform conversations like this. Um, but as I said, I feel like these things need to be addressed somewhere, so it's going to be here. Uh, if you haven't listened to the post-veganism episode that Ash and I put out, you should probably start there, otherwise a lot of this will not make sense. Um, and thank you again for the incredible support on that episode. People in the Discord uh, were like, I just, I don't actually see how this is controversial. This seems pretty self-evident. And also you've been seeing this for years, uh, which is something, again, I'll return to. Um, shout out to David Linz, who I saw made a great comment on the response. I see you guys, and I'm really just so happy to have you in my community and as comrades. So I have a lot of points to cover, uh, but I think I'll start with some of the highly problematic concepts brought up by Catherine and some people in my emails. The first is that, um, and this shouldn't be too surprising because I think we all know that there are a lot of especially white settler vegans who are not supportive of indigenous rights or traditional livelihoods at all. Uh, but she frames subsistence hunting as only okay if you're living in an environment that is totally inhospitable to growing plant foods, like in the case of the Inuit. And for any other group, it is inherently wrong, and it's actually racist to support indigenous hunting rights because it's playing into the noble savage trope, valorizing their livelihoods. So setting aside the fact that there are many environments where it would be difficult to subsist on nothing but local plant foods, you know, if we're not importing things via the global capitalist food system, which is itself highly destructive, uh, please see A Foodie's Guide to Capitalism on that. But all of that aside, uh, this is very important. The noble savage trope is itself a concept that was created by racists. It was coined by racist European anthropologists who were part of the colonial project in order to justify racism and to make people disregard indigenous knowledge and disrespect their livelihoods. There's a book called The Myth of the Noble Savage by Tur Ellingson that goes over this. I also recommend the book 1491 by Charles Mann that similarly goes over this. Um, I believe David Wengro and David Graver go over this in The Dawn of Everything. Uh, and Seriously Wrong did an excellent podcast episode with David Wengro that I will link below. And they have an extended section, uh, like a skit on the noble savage trope and its history, which is really fantastic. Love the wrong boys. Um, and racists still use this trope today to argue against land back and against giving indigenous people and their knowledges any authority in conservation practice and other realms. So trying to appeal to this trope in order to say that the real racism is giving a pass, a quote unquote pass to indigenous or other subsistence hunters is just a whole big can of worms. Uh, I think I will make a video about the noble savage myth because it seems like that would be really productive. It's something that I see bring, brought up a lot. And hopefully it would get mainstream vegans to stop trying to use it 
to excuse being completely ignorant about indigenous rights and livelihoods. And yes, of course, as we mentioned, there are indigenous vegans and there are conversations that are going on in some communities. Great. But as settlers who destroyed indigenous food systems and forced indigenous people onto reserves, where they were then forced to take up farming, which was considered more civilized on land that was not suitable for it. I mean, there's a whole terrible history there within a terrible history of colonialism broadly. So to have people in my DMs being like, oh, of course, of course we can make the Inuit go plant-based. I mean, this is just furthering genocide based on quite paternalistic assumptions. And I want to shout out R.D., who wrote the chapter called Vegan Washing Genocide, Animal Advocacy on Stolen Land and Reimagining Animal Liberation as Anti-Colonial Praxis. Uh, that is a chapter in the book called Undoing Human Supremacy, which was edited by Simon Springer and others. This was an incredible chapter. It was a, a scathing critique of white settler veganism, and I'm so glad that it was included in this book. Uh, it went over all of the ways that vegans and animal rights activists have been devastating and incredibly colonial in their agitation against Indigenous peoples in so-called Canada, outlining several high-profile cases where already marginalized communities were severely harmed. And I was so happy, again, to see this in this book, because otherwise, uh, a lot of the chapters, I think, fall into the traps of anti-Indigenous rhetoric, um, which we touched on before uh, and in our episode about speciesism and defining speciesism in a political way. So I cannot recommend this chapter enough. I'll see if I can link it, uh, but it might be just in the book. Um, and I actually tried to get the author uh, of that chapter on this show, but they are no longer doing any public activism, unfortunately, because they too just got so frustrated with the level of discourse in the mainstream movement, um, which is sad because they had a lot to contribute. Uh, but it's also understandable because here we are. <laughs> um, but uh, sorry, I'm the construction noise is so annoying. I'm hoping that you're not hearing much of it. Um, I don't even know what they're doing. Anyway, but getting back to the response and the way that some people have uh, acted, uh, you know, this is really a perfect example of what Ash and I were talking about in the post-vegan episode, because none of the points that we made in that episode were new at all. I have been making these points for years. I made the Why I'm No Longer Vegan TM video almost five years ago, and I touched on most of this there. We did the episode with Connie Spence about how our taxes work years ago that shows clearly that these industries are not feeling the losses that they should by people just consuming vegan. We did the speciesism episode years ago about needing to define this in a political and systemic way that, I mean, we would argue makes sense and is not liable to be used to further colonial violence. Uh, Marine made these, these points about veganism needing to be anti-capitalist and political even before we started the podcast together. We started the podcast together because we wanted to advance a definition of veganism, which is a political movement against the commodity status of animals. <laughs> so none of this is new. Nobody accused us of being anti-vegan for making these same points forever. And honestly... You know, these points, we think, can only help to benefit the movement if people take them seriously. But if you think if you think that suddenly everything has changed and we're just, you know, Ash and I are just saying what we did to justify our health needs changing, either you haven't been listening to Marine and I this entire time and Nicole and Catherine and, you know, everyone <laughs> that we brought on the podcast, you haven't been listening to us the entire time, or you've been practicing a very ableist form of veganism that just didn't care what we were saying as long as we were able physically to be eating plant-based. The speciesism episode was actually, again, one of the most popular episodes ever with so many people reaching out and some people, again, joining the Patreon and Discord because they were so happy that that content existed. And we had some fantastic talks about it. So, you know, yeah, the entire point of starting this podcast together was to make an intervention and to try to advance this political and inclusive, inclusive vision of total human and animal liberation. Um, someone who I really appreciate reached out to me on Discord and offered to help me with my response and said that I should address the philosophical definition of veganism, not just the political one. 
And that's fair. I just don't really know how to address the philosophical definition because our whole thing was trying to advance the political definition um, because we believe the philo philosophical definition of just not eating animals and thinking that all consumption of animals is inherently wrong in all contexts. You know, we thought, A, that that had a lot of problems, um, and B, it wouldn't necessarily lead people towards an effective political program for affecting real change. So, again, you don't have to agree, I guess, but I think we've put forward some pretty compelling episodes in the last several years. We've done a lot of important work, I think. But yeah, I just had someone rage quit the Discord without even letting me respond, saying that I just conveniently changed my politics to justify taking care of my health issues, which is absolutely untrue. Like, you haven't been listening if you haven't heard us trying to advocate for a political definition of speciesism and veganism for years now. Um, so in this, I also want to briefly address the concept of carnism. Because Catherine said that my points reinforced carnism, or the idea that eating meat is necessary, natural, or normal. Uh, I will get back to the necessary for whom bit later, but what myself and the regular members of this podcast have come to, especially in our speciesism episode, is that this to us is not a terribly helpful concept. The creator of it has also said that it is now used in ways that she never intended it to be used. It's used often as a slur against anyone who consumes animals anywhere. Um, speciesism is a super useful concept if you're defining it in a systemic way, which we've covered. Carnism, though, can get into some pretty problematic territory, similar to an apolitical definition of speciesism. And I understand the appeal of it. Uh, when I first heard it and hadn't really critically thought about it, I definitely ascribed to it. And I would go around sharing that animated video about carnism anywhere, like, wow, you know, <laughs> check this out. And I think that it is actually useful to give it credit, I think that it is useful to get people to consider why some animals are treated so luxuriously, like our pets and some exotic animals, but other animals we deem it okay to cage and torture and breed for specific traits that make them sick and just all the rest of it. So that part is useful. The problem is that it falls apart outside of a largely Western capitalist context. And I think trying to argue that meat eating isn't natural or sometimes necessary is honestly a fool's errand and ultimately not necessary to build a movement to end animal agriculture. There are so many cultures, for example, the Inuit that Catherine brought up, that couldn't possibly have lived in their environments for thousands of years without eating animals. And even before the advent of the hugely damaging globalized food systems we have now, there were still many places that were, you know, hospitable to growing plants that still would have been extremely difficult for people to be okay and fully, you know, nourished and healthy being fully plant-based. So outside of a few anomalies, most indigenous cultures globally ate animals and involved eating them. And what could be more natural than existing sustainably in your ecosystem for millennia? <laughs> you know, what is not natural is the entire global edifice of animal agriculture. What is not normal is keeping billions of animals caged as living commodities and breeding them for specific traits. You know, nothing about what we're doing under colonial capitalism is natural or normal or acceptable. And you don't have to argue that anyone who eats animals is a carnist framing them often as the enemy, but even if you're trying to stay neutral, you know, framing them as somebody who is just deluded by ideology, which, you know, as we mentioned with many cultures is often racist, uh, but it would be far more productive and realistic and effective to just say, hey, this global industry is insupportable and it's unsustainable. And so it needs to end. And how do we do that? We organize to end subsidies. We rally to prevent any new slaughterhouses from being built. We connect with the environmental justice movement, since these are usually built near poor communities with majority BIPOC residents. We then organize to get existing slaughterhouses shut down. Um, Catherine said that she's involved with a ballot measure to ban slaughterhouses in Denver. That's fantastic. That's excellent. But she's like, well, if you're going to do that, then you should be able to, at the very least, consume totally plant-based. Like, why? Um, 
you know, and for five years, we've been talking about how there are innumerable reasons why somebody might not be able to, or, or, you know, maybe they're like 90% there, but they are unable to get to 100%. But they can still care enough to be part of a broader movement that's actually taking action against the industry, right? Like there's not actually a reason why you couldn't be involved in this organizing without being 100% there. Um, this is truly just policing your comrades, right? Like it really is. Um, and recarnism, you know, I similarly lived with uh, a Karin tribe in the Highland Forest of Northern Thailand for my master's and PhD work. And every family had chickens, pigs, often oxen. Um, chickens just roamed free throughout the village. Cows would just roam around the mountaintops. Like you'd go on a hike and you'd run into like some random animals up there. Um, and these people do not participate in animal agriculture. They also do not participate in industrial plant ag agriculture, which is awesome because in A Food is Guide to Capitalism, again, it shows how destructive industrial plant agriculture is to our soils, to our pollinators, to people, and to animals. I mean, I made the point in my Why I'm No Longer Vegan TM video about almonds and bees and how vegans will yell at people uh, for eating honey or be like, oh my God, you know, somebody will post something innocently in a, in a vegan group like, oh, is honey vegan? Everyone will be like, no, like you idiot, you know, just completely come down on them. Meanwhile, they're like drinking back all of this almond milk that was made in California by shipping around th hundreds of thousands of bees who are being, you know, kept in captivity. They're sick. They're feeding on things that uh, that are making them ill. They're dying, you know, but that's vegan, right? Um, so you, this is the point, right? This is the point about needing to understand the systemic nature of the problem uh, so that you can actually address it. You can actually move forward and find appropriate solutions and not just think like, oh, I'm I'm solving the problem by consuming this almond milk instead of this dairy milk when the way that it was produced is equally damaging. So anyway, with this quite one-dimensional and not materialist understanding of carnism as just, you know, anyone who eats an animal is a carnist and is deluded into doing so by oppressive ideology, I know if only these deluded carnists would just learn the evilness of their ways. I mean, it's, I mean, I just find it so unhelpful, uh, often deeply colonizing and just really rudimentary theorizing, frankly. Um, it's where I started. Like, this is a concept that I adopted without thinking too much about it when I started in the movement because it's just repeated over and over. But I don't see how you can have any kind of, you know, decolonial or political economic critique or understanding and still frame things in this way. Uh, it's like people who try to argue that our canines are actually for chewing fruit and we're all fruititarians. Like, why even go there? Why even begin a conversation like that? Then you have evolutionary biologists coming in and being like, well, actually the bonobo is our closest relative and they eat meat. And then you're stuck in the weeds of a totally unhelpful conversation about what's you know, natural for human animals, instead of just pointing out the fact that animal agriculture as it stands is socially constructed, insupportable and unsustainable, which honestly, I think most people can understand that and can get behind, get behind a movement to change that and end that. And that would be way more effective. It just wouldn't feed people the false idea that we can all eat a certain way, especially if it's some of the more extreme versions. I mean, I'm sure nobody, you know, not that many people are advocating for that. Well, I guess a lot of people are, but you know, not people listening to this podcast. Um, just an aside, I was actually raw till four for a long time. And I know now, you know, after figuring out my issues that that was extremely unhelpful for my chronic illness, uh, especially my blood sugar and in insulin issues. Anyway, I also have a good friend who used to be in the Discord who lives in the country and he and his partner basically homestead. They have an incredible property that they've allowed to grow into super generative habitat for many wild animals. They grow most of their own food. They have backyard chickens. They fish in the nearby river. They hunt and they eat roadkill actually. So animals who have already passed away in another way and they feel like why waste their bodies? Uh, and I agree with that. So they are not participating in purchasing from the animal agriculture industry. They are very self-sufficient, but a mainstream vegan person would probably go up to them and what, like call them murderers, carnists and speciesists, and like they shouldn't be living that way. 
they obviously have a completely different experience and understanding. Um, and this is why we've also said that this kind of apolitical vegan stance, uh, we feel is very like suburban and urban in nature. It's really disconnected from the way that a lot of people in the world actually live. And people will say that, oh, that's supremacist. That's human supremacy. That's oppression. And I guess there is an argument to be made there about the backyard chickens, because although there is some symbiosis, you own the chickens. So it's not like they're necessarily there of their own free will. <laughs> um, but, you know, for the fishing and the hunting, people will still say like, oh, but that's human supremacy. That's oppression. But we know that existing in food webs is not supremacist. Like everyone will go out there leftists at least, will go out there and argue against Jordan Peterson and the Jordan Petersons of the world and their ideas about natural hierarchies in nature. Because there are no hierarchies in, in food webs. There are no hierarchies in nature. We know this. A predator animal is not above their prey animal. A predator, predator animal is not oppressing their prey animals. But people will say that anyone eating an animal in any context is carnist and speciesist and it's oppression. Now, the industry of animal agriculture absolutely is rooted in human supremacy and white supremacy. There's great theory on that. But not everyone has to not eat animals to be against that industry, right? And again, we talked about colonialism in depth in the, in the post-veganism episode. And indeed, people like my friend that I spoke about are not even participating in purchasing from that industry. And surely, absolutely, they would mobilize with people who are working to shut down factory farms. But vegans would be so incensed by their livelihoods that they just could not wrap their minds around organizing with people like that. And same with myself. I mean, I have been in the movement for 20 years, you know? Um, I obviously care about this. I have had to make changes due to my health concerns. But I'm still, I'm telling people publicly, like I am still absolutely 100% down to help organize against these industries. And I'll get back into it later, but, you know, I don't actually purchase from those industries at this point where I'm living now in the country. But there are still so many people. I mean, there's tons of people, even just on Catherine's response video, leaving like ridiculous comments about how they just always knew that I'm an evil person and like, you know, like they would just never organize with me because I've had to address my ability needs. I mean, how ridiculous is that? And this is why we feel that the political definition is so important because the philosophical definition leaves a lot to be desired. Um, someone also threw out the line that you cannot be for animal liberation or rights and eat animals. And again, this is something that sounds really good. Um, if you don't actually think about it in any context outside of capitalist suburbia. But the people in so-called Canada who are doing the most to protect animals and animal rights are Indigenous peoples on the front lines of land defense against toxic industries. I work with communities setting up Indigenous protected and conserved areas and protecting animals and caring for the health of their populations free in the wild. This is what underpins most of these efforts, but they still eat animals. Actually, the Eni Initiative, which is uh, an incredible collaborative effort of about 30 different nations across the U.S. and Canada, they are working to restore buffalo, free-roaming buffalo, back to the plains across a super vast area. And those animals would be free. You know, there's a lot of people working to help them live well because they have such a deep connection and appreciation for them. But part of that initiative is also so that the tribes can again engage in sustainable hunting and reestablish that relationship that was severed through colonialism, which destroyed their food security and their culture. Um... You know, people outside of that community living in the suburbs cannot really even imagine having a relationship like that that goes back so many generations. So from that subject position, like a suburban capitalist kind of subject position, it becomes really easy to point fingers. And, you know, these are just, I think, quite simplistic lines that people throw out and they don't actually hold up under much scrutiny. Like Catherine actually said, well, how can an animal get an arrow in the back and be liberated. Like, how could that be liberation? And I know, I've been vegan forever. I know that it's cliche that people will bring up other animals eating animals, but truly, 
Would you say that a prey animal that is torn to shreds in the jaws of another animal, like probably the most violent way to die, well, I mean, I guess animal agriculture, the industry is extremely violent and horrific. However, <laughs> would you say that that animal who met that end were not liberated because that's the way that they died? They weren't being caged. They weren't being bred. They weren't being tortured. They were free and they ended up meeting a pretty gruesome and horrific end at the hands of a predator animal. So what, they weren't liberated? Like, what does liberation mean to you? I had someone say that they were just so upset knowing that some animals had died for, you know, anyone to consume them. And yes, that's very upsetting. And it would be ideal if no animal ever had to die or meet their demise at the hands of another animal and end up as food. That would be great. But if I were to really mourn all of the prey animals who die in the world, I mean, that is just truly too much to take on. Like, that's just how food webs work. Nothing about that means that the animal agriculture industry is fine. I mean, it's totally unnatural. It is caging animals. It is killing them in unconscionable ways. It is torturing them by the billions. So that, of course, we can stop. Of course, we should stop that. But the point is that that is a system. Like, th this is the system that is the enemy. Not necessarily the fact that, like, any animal is dying or being eaten in the world. So liberation is liberation from colonial capitalism, from this entire global edifice that is killing animals, oppressing humans, oppressing animals, and killing our planet, right? Like, it's, it's causing global ecocide. These are the oppressive systems that we are up against. People participating in their food webs, I don't see as being akin to oppression or, you know, not liberation. And the argument from apolitical vegans is, oh, but humans should know better and then choose better, which is itself elevating humans above other animals, like all other omnivores who still eat other animals within food webs just aren't able to reason like we can. So when they eat animals alive in their jaws, it's not sad. Uh, it's just normal. But when we eat animals, it's not normal or natural. It's actually oppression. Um, I mean, that argument gets super dicey in a lot of scenarios. And and I know that the people who are listening to this get that, unless you're just like hate listening to the episode to make more response videos. Um, but I know that Marina and I, Nicole and Catherine, we've cultivated a really great community. And I know that there are so many radical vegan agitators that know all this and who agree and who define harm systemically and have a really robust understanding of what's going on in the world. And we've always had our differences with the mainstream rhetoric, which is fine. We've done our best to advocate, you know, for a broader understanding and we'll continue to agitate in all the ways that we can. Um, I just think that this is really important to bring up because having apolitical understandings of veganism, speciesism, and carnism is what can lead people to do things like try to employ the noble savage trope to argue against respecting the treaties um, and to be terribly insensitive and ableist to people who can't sustain this mode of consumption. And of course, if we abolish the industry, it would mean that most people would radically reduce their consumption, if not eliminate it completely. But I can honestly see a world where that happens and then white vegans are just coming hard for disabled people and subsistence hunters and just being absurd about it. And yeah, I, you know, I was vegan for so long. I too repeated ad nauseum that a vegan diet is healthful and appropriate for everyone in every stage of their life, which can be, but I have now learned that there's a hell of a lot more to it than that. Um, I talked about in that episode the people that I was very shitty to who told me that they couldn't go vegan because of their specific medical conditions and because I had watched Forks Over Knives, which by the way was like debunked by uh, a recent maintenance phase episode. And I was like, wow, I mean, it's actually wild what I believed um, without actually looking into it at all. Um, and they go into the, I think, I believe they go into the China study, which like, again, like, wow, I, I honestly, yeah, it's like embarrassing as an academic to, it's like, I just took these things and, and just internalized them without, I didn't even look at the study. I didn't even go to the source material to look at it. I was like, oh, somebody told me. Uh, that the China study says that eating animal protein is bad and it leads to heart disease and diabetes and uh, cancer. 
I mean, yeah, wow. Um, but yeah, I mean, I actually, for a time, believed that plant-based diets are the healthiest and that they can cure everything. Um, but, you know, that's what I internalized from the movement. And I recently looked up the conditions of the people I was talking about. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, this person cannot handle that much fiber. This person cannot handle that many oxalates. This person cannot... This person is not able to metabolize nutrients from these sources. And I have since issued apologies to people that I was insensitive to, um, you know, after they professed that they could not begin a plant-based diet or who had to stop. Uh, but what really upset me, though, was the insinuation that I had not exhausted all of my medical options before making the decision to incorporate animal products again. After nearly 20 years, by the way, Ash has also been vegan for over 20 years and people are acting like we just never cared. We were just lying. We just don't know what veganism is about. We're not divulging enough about our situations. And some of my situation was actually very private. I d divulged a small part of it on a comment uh, on the response. But it's honestly quite disgusting that people are being raked through the coals like this and having to prove that they're sick enough and prove that they tried hard enough and prove that they went to the right specialist. Like I had someone leave the most hysterical comment. I don't like using that word, but hysterical comment saying that I didn't go to vegan specialists or I didn't try to fix this on a vegan diet. And I'm like, sorry, sir, do you know me? Like it is so wild that people will make public comments like that to strangers. Like, how do you know what I tried? How do you fucking know that? Like, you think that being supremely ill for nearly a decade, I didn't try everything? I mean, it just, it came out because this person was like, oh, don't you know that we're all actually herbivores? Um, so it's like, that's it. That's it. Like, if you're under the impression that this is just natural and like the the most healthy way for every single body on the planet to live, then you're going to come at people and be like, oh, well, you didn't do this, even though you don't know what they did. You have no fucking clue. Like you do not know shit about me. I spent years and years and years, about a decade suffering with my chronic illness and autoimmune condition. I struggled with insomnia, daily pain, chronic migraines that often had me hospitalized and losing work for months at a time. My hormones were a complete mess. My blood sugar was a mess so that I could not sleep through the night without getting up multiple times to eat and pee. Major signs of blood sugar and insulin disruption. Uh, insulin being a hormone as well. Uh, I often had a headache when I would wake up. It was a fucking slog. I went like four years without watching a single television show because I didn't have the spoons or capacity to look at screens. And for a very long time, I would have to spend every day after work lying in bed with the lights off and my ice hat on, just doing fucking nothing or like listening to a podcast or just going to bed at like eight. Um, one of my relationships disintegrated because of it. And I mean, thank God, because that person was not supportive or for me at all. Um, but it was still really painful and I was depressed as hell. I mean, just I, I invite anyone listening to this to even try living like that for even one month and tell me how your will to live is. And I, of course, tried. Why would I just sit there not trying everything? I mean, years. I went to different specialist after specialist. I worked with a bunch of experts to try and solve things on a plant-based diet. I probably did this for way longer than was good for me because I didn't want to consider changing my diet. I didn't even consider that that might be helpful for me because I had internalized that this was the best, healthiest diet for everyone and that eating animals and animal products was actually bad um, so of course it couldn't be that it couldn't be the diet. And even if it might be, I just refused to change. So I tried everything I could didn't really work out. I made a video where actually half my face was paralyzed because I had a shingles attack in my early thirties, which is quite rare because I had so much stress and inflammation in my body from just living like that for so many years. So I want to underscore how dangerous and damaging it is that vegans constantly tell people not to listen to their caregivers, not to listen to their doctors. I probably repeated this to people 
And I am so sorry that I did. Uh, you know, don't listen to your doctor, right? Because they don't know what they're talking about. They don't take classes in nutrition. They don't know all the research. Just go out and find someone who will tell you what you want to hear and work with you the way that you want to work. And I did that. Actually, myself and two close friends who were all suffering with fairly similar issues did that. I had a friend who was a vegan nutritionist. So of course I started there. Uh, because I had so many intertwining issues, I was being sent to specialists of all kinds, neurologists, endocrinologists, and other hormone specialists. And, uh, you know, most specialists that you work with, especially for hormonal issues, if they are talking about diet at all, will recommend similar things, which is not based on nothing. People are like, oh, you didn't get into the science. Like, uh, do you want me to? <laughs> That was not at all the direction that Ash and I wanted to take in that episode. I mean, this is this is a political show. It's not a, we don't talk about health often. We don't talk about consumption. We talk about politics. Um, and I we didn't want our last episode to just be like a scientific like my God, you know that would certainly be read as anti-vegan by people who think that like veganism is this philosophical definition of veganism. But Catherine was like, well, what are these magical properties in eggs and fish that are important for hormonal issues? Like, do you want me to tell you? I actually now know a lot about this. And yes, you can get these things from plant-based sources. The problem is that many, if not most human bodies are very inefficient at converting them from plant-based sources. In my 20s, for example, I was extremely anemic and I had to start supplementation because my body just could not metabolize iron from plant-based sources or it was just very inefficient at doing so and thinking back on it now I'm sure that those supplements weren't actually vegan because the whole problem was that I was having a hard time getting it from plant-based sources so not all bodies are the same but most specialists who are successful will recommend similar things uh, they don't force you to do anything so you can say no I don't want to go that route I want to heal this on a plant-based diet and so myself and my friends were doing that. My one friend had not had her period in like seven years. And people kept saying like, oh, you just have PCOS. So that's just how it is. Don't worry about it until you want to get pregnant because then it's an issue. Some vegans actually say, oh, well, <laughs> didn't you know that your period is actually a sign of toxicity? And so if you're not getting it or if it's super irregular, that's actually great. Uh, she also had an, an autoimmune condition with her thyroid, so very elevated antibodies like I had. Uh, for years, she was just going for it, trying to figure it out, didn't get very far. Um, and then she began listening to her caregiver, but was like, you know, I want to limit this. So she only, she went like half in. Um, again, like got a little bit further, but not too far finally decided to just take the advice of her caregiver. She has now had her period back consistently every month for a year now, and her autoimmune condition is in remission. She is very, very clear that this was the thing. This was the thing that changed that finally made the difference. And based on her success, I decided to work with the specialist and do a very deep dive into my hormonal state, which is a complete mess. Uh, no other specialist had worked with me so closely. And like I said, I used to have antibodies near 200 when they're supposed to be under 30. And now they're in the normal range. And everything I just described before, I'm basically no longer dealing with any of it. So can you just sit with that for a minute? Like the immensity of that and how much my life has changed. And people in the comments were like, oh, this isn't science, this is just vibes. No, my blood work isn't just vibes, guys. How is that just vibes? My antibodies are in the normal range for the first time in 10 years. My blood sugar, which I now monitor more regularly, is far more balanced. I sleep wonderfully now without having to get up. I don't have to take sleeping pills. I don't have to get up and eat and pee a million times. I haven't had a migraine in a year when I used to get multiple per week. And people are like, well, I'm so disappointed. Like you're disappointed that I don't have an autoimmune condition anymore because you weren't disappointed with my points or you didn't say you were you know, disappointed with my points publicly when I was plant-based. Maybe you even supported me on Patreon. <laughs> and now that I'm not, you have to disavow me and discredit my experience saying you just don't believe that it was necessary after 20 years. And, and like, based on what? Based on fucking what? Isn't the fact that I did heal an indicator that, oh yeah, that probably was necessary for her? I mean, same with my friend. Like, that clearly was necessary for her. 
And her caregiver, this hormone specialist, wasn't recommending the stuff out of nowhere. She's recommending it because she knows the science and she knows the data of all the people she's worked with. My God. I mean, people just hold on to this apolitical conception of social change and of speciesism. And so they can't reckon with or accept that there are some people with different ability needs. They want all humans in every context to never eat animals, not just for the animal agriculture industry and systemic oppression to end. They want no human to ever eat animals and ever need to eat animals. So it makes sense if that's what you want, if that's your ideology, to put out into the world that actually this is the best for everyone and that we're all innately herbivores. Because if that's not true, actually, then your apolitical vision of a vegan world can't be realized. So returning to people asking about the science, my other friend who I mentioned had similar issues to mine, plus fibromyalgia and was also uh, pre-diabetic. Similarly, made a miraculous recovery after finally listening to her caregivers. And she was so pissed off that she stayed so sick for so long because she felt gaslit by people telling her that she totally could heal without changing her diet and that that definitely wasn't the thing. And she did a super deep dive into all the scientific literature from all camps, from all diets. So, you know, message me if you're struggling, I can connect you. But she's actually going to do a series about it eventually and share this information. Again, I didn't care to go into all of it here because like I said, my goal was never to dissuade people from eating plant-based if that works for you. If that works for you, that's amazing. We underscored that in our episode. So that's just not where we wanted to take the episode. It's not where I wanna take things now, especially because I have always been arguing for veganism as not a shopping list, not a consumption list that we go around policing our comrades about, but as a radical political stance against the commodity status of animals. So, you know, a boycott of the industry can be one tactic towards liberation. It can be one tactic towards that. It's certainly not the only tactic and it isn't sufficient to bring about liberation either, which is just the points that we were trying to make. So the fact that Catherine supported me on Patreon this whole time and didn't care until now just proves the point that, you know, as long as you can meet that bar of consumption, you're good. And if you can't, you're immoral and fuck you. And you must be disavowed and your experience must be wrong. You must be wrong. Your specialist must be wrong. You should have been able to do this a different way and whatever. I mean, she actually said, well, I guess we just have different morals. (laughs) And like, that's it. I mean, people use this as a way to feel morally superior just because they're in a body that can do this longer term where some others cannot. Catherine actually brought up that Ash and I were not plant-based currently at the very start of her response episode, saying that the points that we made were just, you know, justifying healing ourselves as if we were just biding our time to eat animals again. So let me say clearly, I did not find being vegan difficult at all. Sure, I took some heat from my family in the early days, but they eventually were super supportive. They always made me awesome vegan meals for family gatherings. Holy shit. God, that's so obnoxious. I I, I assume you could hear that on the microphone, that horrible rubbing. Don't be that guy. Anyway, um, yeah, they made me awesome vegan meals. Uh, they chose restaurants with me in mind. I lived in the city where there were incredible vegan restaurants. Um, I had vegan friends. We'd go out to eat. I mean, I just did not find it challenging. Uh, My autism also helped, I think, because I have often very black and white thinking. And when I commit to something and choose it, that's it. Like the decision has been made. I didn't struggle. I didn't miss animal products. I really did not. And if you know me, you know that it's more difficult for me to do an easier thing if I'm not aligned with it. Like the harder thing for me to do was to move away from this thing that I was committed to. That was the harder thing. And why would I choose that, especially with the platform that I have, if it didn't actually help me so immensely? Like people honestly don't think. They just immediately jump to disavowing because they have to, because they're operating with this completely apolitical, like idealist understanding of veganism and social change and everything. So it's like, I must be wrong, right? I must be. Because if I'm, if I'm not wrong, then I just, you know, I'm invalidating the movement. 
However, a political movement against the commodity status of animals, let's say tomorrow, like the, a scientific breakthrough happens and, you know, it's clear beyond a doubt that people need to eat animals and animal products. This is just, you know, for the sake of argument, let's say that happened. A political movement against the commodity status of animals would not be invalidated by that. A philosophical idealist movement that just wants nobody to ever eat animals and thinks that every anyone participating in a in a predator prey relationship that isn't you know the Inuit are wrong. I mean that would be invalidated by that, right? This is why we've been arguing for this for so many years, but it's just really telling when people move to this extreme kind of disavowal instead of just listening to somebody and being like damn you know i'm sorry that was your experience like but you seem to be finally in a better place and that's really good here are all these other ways that you could contribute to ending animal agriculture and you know i honestly wonder how many people are suffering out there and who are just terrified to listen to their doctors or of losing their circle or whatever. Um, I will say that absolutely nobody in real life was ever remotely shitty about this. Nobody, nobody. All of my vegan comrades were super supportive saying this is not a deal breaker. We will absolutely still organize together and good for you for finally being not sick. Um, I see that you're so much better and I trust you to know what is livable and what is not livable inside your body. And Catherine actually said, oh, but I wanted a home birth. So I didn't exhaust my medical options when it came to my platelets plummeting, which I mean, was a later thing. So anyway, but I was also like, well, surely nobody, you know, you'd have to be a monster to say anything about the, that urgent platelet situation. So let me be clear. My option was to let my platelets keep plummeting. Um, I also had low red blood count and low iron. So let that keep happening and be at risk of, you know, getting a cut, admit myself to the hospital and hope they could inject me with a bunch of stuff to save me through childbirth. Like there's already a huge risk of hemorrhaging in childbirth. And then if you have extremely low platelets, it's way worse. I actually was admitted to the hospital overnight because I was bleeding so profusely. So like, do you hear yourself? Like how low is it to just casually conjecture about someone's health and life? That is fucking appalling. And she said she didn't want to burn a bridge. Like, listen to not burning bridges. Don't put someone's face up with an inflammatory title and judge them for not doing enough and love comments of people leaving, you know, just heinous and belittling, belittling things about not believing me and like thinking that I'm actually, I was actually always just a terrible, immoral person. You know, just in, in case, just in case any of you listeners were planning on trying to not burn bridges that way. Uh, she was like, oh, but I, but I used a flattering picture of you. My God. Um, anyway, but like, yeah, people are justified because they're like, oh, I'm doing this for the animals. I mean, wh which animals are being helped by this? But it's, it's truly, it is like, it's the apolitical, it's the idealist, it's the philosophical, like, just nobody should be eating animals for any reason. Um, and there's... With that, it's like there's no possible health reason that you could have that would need you to eat an animal. Um, and that's actually part of the carnism philosophy. Like that is, it's like the reason it's oppressive and immoral is because there's this inherent assumption that actually nobody actually really needs to eat animals or animal products. Um, and I'm here to tell you that that's wrong. And it's actually, I mean, if you deny that, I mean, I just, I just don't, it's just going to be a detriment to the movement. You know, it's, it's not going to get anywhere if you're just denying that fact, because there's just going to be people over and over again, where it comes up like, no, actually, yeah, it was necessary. So like, where does that leave you? Um, and frankly, a movement, like, it's like, why are we, like, this movement is harassing, like, the most marginalized people, like, vilifying poor people, disabled people, indigenous people, like, holy fuck, I mean, you really think you're going to change systems this way? It's unbelievable. And really, the only, the only reason that people could be this callous to others is if they are holding on to these, you know, ideas of speciesism, carnism, and social change that are ultimately not useful. But again, this kind of garbage really only pops up online. Uh, I, I don't experience this in real life. 
Um, and that's another reason that I just, I just don't really want to continue existing in this particular online space. And so I will instead get involved with supporting efforts to change le legislation or change things at institutional levels like government or universities, um, and just other avenues that I think will be productive in hindering and ultimately abolishing the industry. Um, and just not really talk about this anymore online. I mean, I think I've said my piece for years. I'm really proud of the work. Like I said, I'm happy uh, with what we've put out. I'm glad that it will kind of live forever here. Oh, one second. Okay, so my mom uh, brought the baby back early, which means that you will probably hear some baby noises for the rest of this podcast, but it's, it's almost done. <laughs> Anyway, someone said to me, you are literally paying to bulldoze the Amazon. Again, first of all, do you know me? Do you know where I'm purchasing what I'm eating and under what conditions? I live in the country now. There are a multitude of different options other than buying from CAFOs. And in fact, at this point, nothing that I purchase actually comes from a CAFO. So I'm actually not contributing to the big industry. I mean, obviously I'm still contributing to some industry we're living under capitalism, but nothing is coming from a CAFO. Um, I know exactly where my stuff is coming from. It's not the Amazon. And some people were like, well, why didn't you talk about the harm reduction that you're doing? Like the efforts that you're taking to avoid harm as much as possible. And I guess I could, like, I felt like most people wouldn't really care. Like if your position is that even subsistence hunting is wrong, then you're not probably going to care whether these are eggs from local backyard chickens or fish caught by Métis fishermen locally, again, in a sustainable way. I mean, I watched people destroy Stephanie Lange when she came out about her health issues. She's not even a vegan influencer, but she was vegan. Um, and she talked about all of the harm reduction stuff that she was doing, including eating eggs only from backyard chickens from her neighbor. And obviously nobody cared. Like people still just flipped out, tore her down, um, and tried to disavow and discredit her. But another reason is that even if I were living in the city and had less money and didn't have other options other than just buying from, you know, discount grocery stores where things are coming from factory farms, we are all poor laborers under the system. And contrary to what a lot of vegans believe, this is necessary for some people. And so if that's true, I mean, you honestly wouldn't grill people on most other forms of consumption that could be extremely environmentally destructive or socially destructive or kill a lot of animals. I mean, people argue that the rainforest is only being raised for meat and nothing else and that the soybean plantations come later. That's not always the case. So, you know, where is your tofu coming from, guys? Where is your quinoa coming from? Where is your chocolate coming from? Your almond milk? Your cell phone was made by destroying the environment in the Congo and involves child slavery and death. You could argue that you need your cell phone to operate in this world, but many could argue against that. The point is that people don't consider people who buy cell phones or fast fashion innately immoral people because you understand that it is the system that is evil. And then people are just within the system forced to make bad choices. Like you wouldn't go up to somebody and be like, dude, you're literally killing children in Bangladesh with your fast fashion. I used to take several long haul flights per year in academia and my ex-partner used to razz me about it because we did the calculations and the flights effectively undid the environmental good of my vegan diet and then some. Um, although, you know, as we mentioned, it is more complicated than it appears. It's really not necessarily a straight line between individual action and harm reduction anyway. And we know that, you know, uh, environmental footprints were created largely by oil execs to distract us from systemic issues. However, that, you know, that was the joke, like the, that my flights were effectively completely undoing the good I was doing with my vegan diet. Nobody came to me and said, Mexi, my God, I mean, why would you take those flights? You're literally driving global ecocide. But eating plant-based or not feels like one of the few areas of consumption that people will grill and judge individuals for and act like they are single-handedly responsible for the harm that these industries are enacting. Like they are not just poor laborers acting within a horrible, evil, terrible system, making the best choices that they can with what they have and what their situation is. 
And that doesn't justify what's going on in animal agriculture. I mean, I wouldn't have been abstaining from this industry for 20 years or make a bunch of content about it, make a whole platform about it, go to vegan conferences about it, go go to vegan marches, if I didn't think the industry is egregious. Like, the industry has to go. There's no justification for this industry. But I bet you're not up in anyone's face about the other egregious forms of consumption that they participate in or just pouring over the minutiae of, like, whether it's really necessary for them to do that. You are not the arbiter of what is necessary for someone else. You're not. The sooner the movement learns that, the better. People were like, well, you weren't forceful enough in saying that everyone who can consume this way should. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Yes, good. But the reason I'm also hesitant on that isn't because I don't support it, but there are so many reasons why somebody may not be able to be plant-based currently. Including mental health struggles, eating disorders, living situations, and you don't know what someone is going through. You honestly don't know. And so I have never brought people on the podcast to talk about consumption. Never. I had people reaching out, wanting to come on and talk about food, uh, vegan winter wear, and a bunch of stuff. I said no, always. Because this is a political show. I'm not interested in telling people what to consume and how to consume it. And many vegans will take the point that people should do what they can, which like, yeah, sure, of course, but they will use it to go around policing people and badgering them about whether they really are ill or they really have an eating disorder or they really this or that. Like, can you really not consume better? It's just super antagonistic, super ableist and not okay. Like if that works for you, then great, that's wonderful. But I purposely never brought on anyone on the podcast who would be talking about consumption. Instead, I offer critiques of the systems at play. I explain how everything works and why, you know, what we're up against. And I trust everyone listening to take that information and incorporate it into their praxis in whatever ways they can. That may look like abstaining from purchasing products, or it may look like other forms of action depending on someone's situation. I'm sorry, I feel like this is just getting really chaotic with the baby noise and the construction noise. <laughs> I actually, um, I think what they might be doing, I complained to the town because the park across the street is full of noxious weeds and non-native invasive plants. And so I sent a report into the conservation department and this guy is out there with this like small, I don't know, what, what are they called? Backhoe? Um, just like driving in and out of the forest, like scraping the bottom floor. Um, I guess this is their version of ecological restoration or remediation. I don't think it's going to kill the plants. I mean, the roots are still there. Um, and these are invasive, so they're definitely going to come back. I, it's not, I don't know, but it's making a lot of noise, but I'm so close to finishing. So, (laughs) so please bear with me. Um, but yeah, right. So I, I provide critiques, um, and I trust people to, to do with that what they will. The people who feel so comfortable getting in people's faces and accusing them of God knows what without even knowing them at all and thinking this is somehow helping the animals. Like, how does that change the situation? How does that change? My situation is not changed by this. My friend's situation, Ash's situation is not changed by this. It's just denialism. It's just putting yourself up on a moral high ground. So, you know, as you're gleaning, I do not wish to be in this online space anymore because the very fact that I did this means that so many people will write off what I've been saying for years and certainly won't listen to me anymore because I represent something impossible for their ideology to manage. I also see people in the total liberation space posting memes about how anyone's excuse for not eating plant-based is just incompetence. Like, that is just so toxic and unbelievable. I've watched so many influencers have to stop for whatever reason. And all the movement can do is call them evil, call them immoral, say that they didn't really need to do this, they don't know what their bodies are doing, they, you know, their experience is wrong, forget them. And then just turn inwards with the people that are left and just police the hell out of that in-group and scare people into being like, if you ever need to make any change at all, this is what will happen to you. But again, it doesn't, it doesn't change anything. It doesn't bring those people back into the movement. It doesn't offer them any other avenues to participate in while they work out whatever issue they're having. It just creates an environment that is super hostile 
and that probably keeps a lot of people from listening to their caregivers. But I don't want to end with harping on the bad. I really do want to thank the thousands of you who have supported the, the whole way through and the people who started to support me after that episode with Ash. You guys are incredible. I appreciate you all so much. <laughs> I hope people can use the theory that we put forward to make a more robust movement and attack levers that will be really effective in making change. And by the way, we never said that you can't do individual action alongside systemic direct action. <laughs> but again, the people listening to this know that and they heard me and they heard what I was saying. Honey bun. I'm going to be leaving everything up and just paying to keep it up so that hopefully more people can find it and consider everything that we've said and uh, really put forward a conception of liberation that is total. I'm going to be pausing the Patreon indefinitely, even though I am still paying to keep this up, <laughs> but I assume people don't want to support that, or I don't know if they would, I guess, let me know. Um, but I'm going to be pausing it indefinitely until I start my new project. Um, thank you all so much. I will... Thank you all so much. I will be back with a new project soon. I have a lot of great guests and topics in mind and that I'm lining up. La la la. La la la. And I can't wait to share it with you. Solidarity always, my friends, and take care. Bye.